My heart always belonged down in the mountains. But we, we were forced to leave to make a living, you know, there, there was no work. You know, you, you stay gone for a few weeks, a few months, and you know, when you're on a three-year job, you know, you lay down and go to sleep and you just see the mountains and the creeks and the fresh water, you know. <laughs> you know but any, anyway, your heart never leaves. The mountains that captured Joe Hancock's heart are in Wayne County, Kentucky. Joe's a child of these mountains, raised in a holler and educated in a one-room schoolhouse. As a young man, he left the state in search of work. But when he had the chance to take a job digging a tunnel under Lake Cumberland along the northern border of Wayne County, Joe came home. Now he's a fixture here. Signs promoting Pumpkin Joe's candidacy for school board pepper his hometown of Monticello. My producer Aaron Bump and I visit him at his shop, Joe's Pumpkin Barn. Pumpkin Joe reveals the secrets of healthy living, Eastern Kentucky style. Would you want a taste of her longevity? Oh yeah, I've got part of the recipe in there if you want a taste. Let's go in the kitchen. That is our home remedy, moonshine, moonshine whiskey. Oh, that's now clear your nostrils. <laughs> okay, now here we go. I've got honey, honey in the cone. You, give me your other spoon. Is uh, Aaron going to live to 100 now? Oh, yeah, you, you, you. Moonshine whiskey and, and honey has been a remedy in, in our mountain life. It's been a tradition. And this was all we had. And, and this is all we need in certain things, you know. Joe is warm and gregarious, but his tales drift towards melancholy and loss. It's a common turn here along the spine of the Appalachian Mountains, just beyond the eastern Kentucky coal fields. Pumpkin Joe tells us how his store is now a shell of itself. We started off, uh, well, we I've shut down now, but now we had fresh homemade pies, apple, cherry, uh, then we've done coconut cream, uh, butterscotch, and chocolate custard pies, you know, with a, with a meringue and barbecue. We'd... We done just tons and tons of barbecue, but this store was just packed. I had candies and you know kids, and and it was stocked plumb to the rafters. Now now it's pretty bleak. Pretty bleak is a good description of the economic situation here. Historically, Appalachia was one of the most isolated and underserved areas in the country. That changed with the growth of the Eastern Kentucky coal industry. Roads were built investment dollars rolled in, and higher-paying jobs were created. But there was a temporary air to it all. The 20th century was one long cycle of boom and bust. When the last big coal bust hit Appalachia 20 years ago, only idled mines and generational poverty remained. And that poverty has translated into some of the lowest health and life expectancy outcomes in the country. In 2019, 
eight of the shortest lived counties in the nation were in eastern Kentucky. Even before COVID, life expectancy was declining in much of the region. We asked Mace Baker why life expectancy numbers are so low in eastern Kentucky. He's the director of Kentucky Home Place, a health services provider. It's a, a fatalistic lifestyle, perhaps, that's been passed down, you know, from generation to generation. Uh, unhealthy lifestyles that, that are carried on. And then, you know, lack of access to services, to quality services, and lack of access to jobs. You know, there's direct correlation between the amount of income you have and your health. We have very little means in this area to, to make a good uh, good living. Wayne County is a little outside of coal country, but it faces similar economic hardships. Its income is in the bottom 5% of all counties in the U.S. The poverty rate is over 20%. That's double the national average. And from a health standpoint, Wayne County doesn't look much better. Four in 10 Wayne County residents are obese. A quarter of the population smokes. Rates of heart disease and cancer are high. It's in the diabetes belt. A strip of the southeast U.S. where over 10% of the population has diabetes. And yet life expectancy in Wayne County is surprisingly high. Don't get us wrong, no one should move to Wayne County to extend their life. With a life expectancy of about 76 and a half years, Wayne County residents live two years less than the U.S. average. But they live an average of four years longer than the residents of other economically distressed counties in this region. And we're in Monticello, the county seat, to find out what's going right here. Welcome, Ken, to Wayne County, Kentucky. And welcome all of you to Century Lives, Place Matters, from the Stanford Center on Longevity, I'm your host, Ken Stern. We visit Wayne County at the height of autumn. Its beautiful rolling hills are dotted with cattle and with trees that have turned shades of deep red and yellow. The landscape is most vibrant along Lake Cumberland, a reservoir with more shoreline than any man-made lake in the world. The lake used to be home to a vibrant houseboat industry, but like so much else around here, it's crumbled. But it isn't the economic misfortune or the raw beauty of the place that strikes me most. It's the community. You know, Monticello is a really close-knit community. When there's not a lot for everybody to do, the things you're going to turn to is your social relationships. That's Christy Chadwick. She's lived here for 30 years, which is to say all her life. Truth be told, I'm a little skeptical of the closeness narrative. I've been to other parts of Eastern Kentucky where rampant drug use and economic despair have chewed away at the social fabric. But I want to investigate. So we head to downtown Monticello, which has the melancholic energy that Pumpkin Joe described. On Main Street, there's an old-fashioned drugstore with a now-shuttered lunch counter. The shelves are thinly stocked, but when I hand over a dollar bill for a bottle of Diet Coke and get change back... I see an upside to Wayne County life. Aaron and I pop into the Contented Heart Quilt Guild. Inside, Beth Bryant and Betty Rain sew quilt layers together. Shelves full of neatly folded quilts surround them. What, what is a quilt guild? Basically, it's a group of ladies who love to quilt. I think we have about... How many people are in the guild, Betty? About 60? About 60. I asked Beth how a quilt is made. We have a backing, 
Then we have a layer of batting, which can be an old blanket back uh, in older times. Army blankets from the war were used as the batting. And then you have the quilt top that's been pieced together, and they call that a sandwich. Beth is a newcomer to Wayne County. She's lived all over the world, but decided to retire here. She tells us how she ended up in the quilt guild. Just after we had moved, I had gone to a local uh, nail salon to get a pedicure. And I was telling the tech, I was sitting in the big chair and telling the tech that we just moved here. And two chairs down, a lady and her mother were having her toes done. And she leaned over and she says, do you quilt? And I said, well, yes. She, and then she just started talking and invited me down to the shop. And she said, meet me on a Monday and I'll introduce you to everyone. And so I met her down here and her 90 plus year old mom came and met everybody, joined the guild. And I've been here ever since. In Monticello, the Quilt Guild is more than just a club. It's the heartbeat of the community, treasured by members and observers alike. While the Quilt Guild has no obvious connections to income or health care, it still matters for longevity. Here's Karen Fingerman, a professor of human development at the University of Texas at Austin. I think what you're getting at is that idea of social cohesion. It's this idea that you are a part of our community now, and people in our community are very welcoming to each other, are looking out for each other, are going to acknowledge that you're there so that you feel present and you feel important to us. Communities with social cohesion have strong bonds of trust and reciprocity. Beth experiences them outside the Quilt Guild, too. Truly, I cannot tell you how friendly, open, and caring people are here. Um, within six months of arriving, I had a cancer diagnosis, and I had to have surgery. I was in the hospital, and, and I had get well and thank you cards from people I hadn't even met. It's just a caring community. In the short term, cancer surgery is more important to Beth's life expectancy than those nice cards. But for the long term, well, that's not so clear. Here's Karen Fingerman again. Social integration, predicted mortality, better than some of the known risk factors like smoking and obesity. And social integration, when you want to measure it, for example, you ask, hey, you know, have you been involved in a formal group such as, you know, the Rotary, a bowling league, whatever? Have you been attending uh, religious gatherings where you might have connected with other people? So they ask a lot of different settings, and that is the thing that predicts the mortality. We know that not smoking and eating well are good for our health. But social cohesion is even better for us. It's astonishing. Being a member of the Quilt Guild sure seems to be good for Betty. She pulls out a photo. This is me, my daughter, my grandson, my great-grandson, my great-great. Five generations are. You're a great-great-grandmother. <laughs> I ask Betty how much time she spends at the Quilt Guild. We all volunteer. They like for us to work two days a month. Some of us work a day or two over. <laughs> Don't we? Yes, you do. How, like, how many days over, Betty? <laughs> well, I'm by myself, and and uh, I live back up on the hill, and I just love to come down here and have something to do. I come about every day. Yes, I do. Keeps my hands busy. 
I'm out in BC. And I just love quilting. We reluctantly say our goodbyes to Betty and Beth, realizing we're leaving a special place. We head down Main Street to meet Monticello Chamber of Commerce President Brittany Guffey at the City Pool Hall. It does have a few pool tables, but that's not why people come here. This is the, the oldest restaurant that we have in Wayne County. Uh, you can smell the place before you ever open the doors. It's one-of-a-kind burgers. You guys should get one before you leave for sure. It's delicious. You come in, and uh, there's old-timey bar stools. The guys are grilling burgers from behind. Uh, you come in, you order, you can go, you can sit down, you can play pool in the back. Uh, they are very um, supportive of our local uh, school system and sports, so you'll see a lot of um, jerseys and uh, memorabilia from high schools. Um, things like the city pool hall here that's not changed. The color of the walls is really about the only thing you're going to see changed around here. And I was just saying... Aaron and I are a big change at the city pool hall today. But Brittany has been coming here all her life. She describes the deep ties to her community. And if you don't know everyone, there's never a time when you're sitting in a room where you don't know someone. <laughs> when you can go into a place like the city pool hall and you know most everyone who walks through the door and you can say, hi, how's your day going? How's mom and dad doing? Those, those small interactions really make a big difference. Brittany's not a social scientist, but she's spot on. She may not know it, but she's talking about a concept called weak ties or sometimes consequential strangers. Karen Fingerman tells us more. We actually have coined the phrase consequential strangers to add to the idea of weak ties. They arise in your daily life. They're people you run into at the gym. They're people who are friends of friends. You might only see them every couple years. Those are the kinds of people who are weak ties. People began to discover that it made you feel more grounded when you went to the coffee shop and you saw the same people. It gave people a sense of community or it gave people a sense of security. You know, there's just a connection there that's not one that I have to invest a lot in beyond saying, you know, hello and how's it going and have them do the same. There's limited resource for how much you can invest emotionally. So here you're getting something without that investment and it grounds you. It gives you a sense of familiarity. And it's really meaningful to have that experience with someone else, not just sit at home and being sedentary is actually one of the top things that kills you, just sitting still. And if you're going to associate with weak ties, at the very minimum, you got to get out of your chair. Even if we're not aware of them, weak ties cause us to have a greater diversity of relationships, and they translate to better health. Karen tells us about a study conducted by psychologist Sheldon Cohen. He found out from uh, individuals, younger adults, that who they hang out with, basically. Are they people who have a lot of different social ties that they encounter, or are they people who really have a very limited range of people they encounter? Then he got them to go into hotel rooms. He exposed them to the rhinovirus, um, and then they tracked their symptoms. They even weighed their tissues for excretions. And they discovered that the ones who had the more rich social lives, in terms of the number of different types of people they encountered had the best immune response. So it's not just, hey, who do you spend time hanging out? If you're only hanging out with your roommate all the time, it's not as good as if you're spending that time interacting with a huge range of people. Our weak ties actually strengthen our immune systems. That's incredible. And there seems to be a lot of weak ties in Wayne County. Brittany describes how the community comes together. 
you know, when we have a major celebration, you know, a local team at the high school wins region or state. We celebrate as a community when we have a, a loss, you know, a, a small child or um, a younger individual who may leave us earlier than we anticipated. We get together and we grieve together. We we do a lot of benefits and, and raise money for the, the local fire departments and, and things like that. So to really come together as a community and, like I said, grieve or go through those type of things but also celebrate things i think is like no other so aaron and i are charmed by our wayne county welcome and more than a little smitten with the city pool hall burgers i eat way more than i should have but we haven't lost sight of the region's challenges some of which ironically can be traced back to its strengths I don't want to leave you with this Pollyanna view that everything that happens between people who are acquaintances is beneficial, because we also have to address how do things spread that are detrimental to health. Wayne County has a long list of conditions that are detrimental to health. Obesity, smoking, poverty. But in eastern Kentucky, the story always comes back to drug addiction. Well, unfortunately, it seems like every... Everyone's family or every individual is touched by it in some way. If it's not you, it's some sort of close connection um, that has had some sort of you know drug problem in some way or tied into that community. And unfortunately, when you have um, those types of, of issues, it's not just the, the user. It trickles down to the whole family. Brittany speaks from personal experience. I have several family members who have experienced it, have been in... Um, and in addiction of some sort um, are still battling with addiction. Um, but then I've got friends that I've known my whole life that are still struggling with it, you know, to this day. I mean, and, and you can't help but um, love those people and try to help them get through it. Um, but unfortunately, it's just, it kind of becomes the thing you just kind of learn to live with to some degree, which is kind of sad when you say it out loud. Brittany's story is hardly unique. We hear echoes of it in virtually every interview we do in Wayne County, which is not that surprising. 110,000 Americans died from opioid overdoses last year. West Virginia and Eastern Kentucky are the epicenter of the current fentanyl epidemic, the deadliest drug crisis in American history. Christy Chadwick, the lifelong resident of Monticello, sees it in her work as a therapist. A lot of people have generational trauma, and it's passed down generation to generation. And it's like, I feel like people do the best they can with what they have. But here in Wayne County, people don't have a lot. There aren't adequate jobs, no public transportation, little expendable income. And these hardships contribute to so-called deaths of despair. Deaths from drug overdoses, excessive alcohol consumption, and suicide. Deaths of despair have an outsized impact on life expectancy because they typically occur in midlife, causing premature death in people ages 25 to 64 who are typically non-college-educated white Americans. Like the residents of Wayne County. But Wayne County sees fewer drug overdoses than many of its neighboring counties. We asked Christy and her colleague Nathan Saucedo about drug use in Wayne County. They work at Adanta, a community mental health center. Nathan is a licensed clinical social worker. 
Thanks to the internet, social media, a lot of individuals in an impoverished area will look online and see unrealistic expectations. Like I'm, I'm online and I, I'm on my cell phone and I see people going to school and driving fancy cars and having nice clothes and socializing and going to parties and doing things. And I'm out on the farm with no way to get anywhere. And I, you know, do experimentation underage drinking because it's readily available. Um, I may have had some trauma. Um, and, you know, I, I push the envelope a little bit. I may experiment a little heavier than I should. And once you become addicted, there really isn't any outlet for that. You know, it just, it just grows and grows and grows and snowballs. Karen Fingerman points out that one addiction in a community can lead to many more. The peer group establishes norms and we pick up on what's okay, what's normal, so that you're seeing these chains even of detrimental behavior. Sometimes that's within the family. So you'll see sort of what we'd call intergenerational transmission. So it will go from parent to child to child and so on. Nathan and Christy see lots of that intergenerational transmission here in Eastern Kentucky. Yeah. And there's actually even a stigma around not using substances and people in individual families where there is every single person is addicted to substances. People actually have to be ostracized from their family in order to stay clean because everyone uses. So there are generations of people using, and that might be different. Like, you know, you may, grandpa may have started out using alcohol and become an alcoholic. And then, uh, you know, your father may have used marijuana initially and then had an injury and takes opiates. And then you started using opiates and it's a rainbow really. But I mean, there are actually situations that I am aware of where, you're actually the odd person out if you're not using. Like I've, I've witnessed situations where um, children started using at like 10 years old, eight years old, because that's their parents' norm. And their parents provided that substance use to them at such a young age. And of course they grow up and they're addicted to these substances. And it's like they never really had that chance because that was their normal. If that's someone's normal, they'll go to great lengths to get their fix. When a person overdoses on opiates, usually they're laced with fentanyl. And one of the saddest things that I think I've ever heard is someone says, well, where did they get it? Because that's the good stuff. And they will actually seek out that substance from that person. Because maybe if they use a little bit less, they get a more adequate high. They just have to be careful. And that's basically Russian roulette. And that just goes to show you there's nothing there. There's nothing but the drug at that point. The challenge in Wayne County is how to break the community norm of drug addiction. A regional initiative called Truth or Consequences educates high schoolers about the ramifications of drug use. Vicki Albertson of the District Health Department describes the community effort involved. They have the police are there, the sheriff's office there. We have um, the judges from that county um, there. We have um, the health departments there. I mean, it's, it's a big undertaking, and we have a lot of participation. Truth or Consequences walks students through the experience of being caught using drugs. It forces young people to imagine an unpleasant future. Its realism is even hard for the adults. It's an eye-opener to me. You know, I just didn't think about, um, like, the consequences. You know, they would, like, handcuff some of them. And so it, it's a real eye-opener to those, those children. So some efforts to break the cycle of drug use in Wayne County involve the stick. And others involve the carrot. Literally. So we're entering the school garden. We've got rows of leafy vegetables, uh, long set of greenhouses, a pumpkin patch. Glenn Roberts manages Wayne County School System's community garden. 
He's the agricultural agent for the county's cooperative extension office, which is part of the University of Kentucky. His garden steers students away from drug use by offering them a way to participate in their community. Glenn shows us around. Down there in the, in the first row down there, we had eggplant. Uh, we probably give away more eggplant than we use uh, as far as in the, in the food service. Uh, I like to grow it on the front down there. It's real showy uh, and uh, nobody steals eggplant. <laughs> of course, this is a community garden too and we don't mind people getting what they eat. We grow a lot, so we've got plenty. And uh, we never anticipated the, the garden get, getting the size that it has. I asked Glenn, how big are we talking? I gave a presentation on this. Yeah, I said, in this, we've grown to four acres. And when I said that, the air went out of the room and told them it's four acres here. And the, that, that, they, you know. So it's pretty unique here in the state of Kentucky. Well, yeah. Uh, Commissioner of Agriculture has been here and, and, and he, he brags on it everywhere he goes. Said, you all got, you all got the best school garden in Kentucky, you know. And that's, and we don't, not doing this to try to teach everybody how to be a farmer or even a gardener. Uh, but the skills that they learn here, the teamwork, being part of something bigger than yourself, uh, being something that's successful and, and uh, spoken of highly in the community, it, it's a good thing for the students. We pause to watch high schoolers pull tomato steaks out of the ground. Glenn tells us that he chopped up the last of the heirloom tomatoes to donate to a local food pantry. I asked Glenn if it's part of his job to do outreach like that. Oh, no, no. Well, this is not either, really. The whole garden here, I mean, that's just extra that we're doing. Now, we do it during work hours, and, and partly. <laughs> but most of it I do after hours. Yeah. And why do you do it? Because I can. <laughs> and I think it makes a difference. I think it's making a difference. Brittany from the Chamber of Commerce would agree. You know, one shift in someone in an office or when you get someone in that in a position, a leadership position of any kind who's very eager to see things change and move and grow, it can really make a big boom within the whole community. And we've got a lot of people in a lot of good places that are all working together um, fiercely to, to do those things. Like Beth and Betty at the Quilt Guild, the men behind the counter of the city pool hall, Vicki from the health department. And Pumpkin Joe, who now proudly occupies a seat on the school board. They're all making Wayne County a healthier place in the communities around them. Their efforts are one of the reasons residents live four years longer than folks in neighboring counties. But I wonder why community groups in Wayne County stick together while elsewhere in eastern Kentucky they've unraveled. That reminds me of something I read in Robert Putnam's book Bowling Alone, which is about the loss of social capital in the U.S., he tells a story about a sewing circle in Dallas that shut down after 60 years because no one knew would join. And that just hasn't happened at the Contented Heart Quilt Guild. You know, we talked about the intergenerational transmission of drug use in Wayne County, but there's also a positive intergenerational transmission in places like the Quilt Guild. And that helps the Wayne County community stick together. Here's Betty again. My mother quilted, my sister's quilted, my grandmother's and my mom sat with pieces in her hands all the time. Daddy asked her, said, why well, are you sitting there on quilt pieces in your hand for? She said, well, Henry, why do you lay on that old couch for? <laughs> I asked Betty if she taught any of her younger family members to quilt. I'm working with a little granddaughter, great-granddaughter. Uh, she's nine. Yeah, we've been working, me and her have been working about a year on it. 
on her quilting. So she does real good. She can sit down and she, she'll clean her machine and she'll uh, uh, thread it up herself and sit down and start sewing. We'll call it the quilt effect. It gives us a window into how Wayne County flourishes, relatively speaking, in the face of so many challenges. Betty's fellow quilter Beth sums it up. A quilt is kind of like a community. You have different patterns and different colors and uh, different ideas, and they all come together to make a beautiful piece of art. And it's kind of like our Wayne County. I mean, we, we have a love of socializing, a love of craft, a love of quilting, and some people don't even quilt. They just come here to socialize. And we're a, a, a nice, tight-knit group. It's, it's just phenomenal. Money stop is mother said. Mother said, oh, mama. Producers of Century Lives are Carrie Thompson and Aaron Bump. Music for this episode was provided by Clyde and Marie Denny and Audio Network. Century Lives is a production of the Stanford Center on Longevity, where our mission is to support ideas and research so that century-long lives are healthy and rewarding ones. Find out more about us at longevity.stanford.edu. Thanks for listening. I'm Ken Stern.